0: Hi there, and welcome back to the SMB Cybercast Podcast, where it's all about helping small and medium enterprises and IT professionals learn cybersecurity, improve their defenses, and prevent breaches. If you want to take the security of your organization to the next level, then this is the right place for you. Welcome, and thanks for listening. This show is sponsored by CyberX. CyberX is a cybersecurity agency that specializes in the needs of small and medium enterprises. We believe that everyone is at the risk of attack these days, and that's obvious from the increase in attacks across the board. So if your company needs help with compliance, security, managed security operations, penetration testing, vulnerability management, or any other security need, feel free to reach out to us. You can send us a message at cyberx.tech contact. That's cyberx.tech contact. All right, let's get back to the show. Okay, so on to our next topic. Uh, sort of back to the uh, end user uh, point of things. Why do we often use the force uh, when we're trying to solve problems in and security rather than Working to figure them out.
1: The easy way. It, it's so much easier. Some people think it's so much easier to just say, this is the way it needs to be done. Do it this way. And it might be the quick, easy fix for that point in time. But as we've mentioned throughout this podcast, it doesn't fix the systemic issues, the cultural issues um, that caused it to begin with in the beginning. So, what would be an example of this? you see. It. Um so for example like why did he give you the MFA password? Well, um the MFA key, well because he wanted to go back to his doing whatever he was doing and he didn't want to be bothered by this IT person that was trying <laughs> to fix whatever problem. <laughs> he, he's a VP um this is beneath him to troubleshoot all these issues like IT person just take care of this like I don't want to be bothered with this. This isn't my concern.
2: You know, it's it's interesting right when when you you hear right this kind of a dialogue and somebody gave you the the mfa key to chris's point we don't know what was in his mind but I, i'm sure chris is not far off right from from his thought <laughs> process i would think but you know, it's also i think well, i can tell you what was in his mind because we put it in his mind well look well, <laughs> it so not be able to work it, it worked well and 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 that but i mean i think more fundamentally, right? It's the idea of you know the the culture of immediate gratification versus the the culture that says you have to work hard in order to be able to claim victory, right? And it's easy to plant the flag when you don't have to climb the hill in order to do it. And so, you know, I do think we've allowed not only senior leaders and thought leaders in organizations, but unfortunately by their example, we've allowed entire organizations to say that the quick fix, right, is the appropriate fix because we we don't need to look any further and go any further. It's okay just to do the bare minimum. And, you know, when you think of, and Chris, you have a background early on, as you talked about in the intro, coming out of a help desk, right, and working with people um, in those support roles and continue to as you work with, you know, onboarding new people into IT through all the work you do. And when you think about the fact that the prototypical troubleshooting methodology that has been in place for decades, this is not a new thing, this is almost as old as the dinosaurs in our our world in IT, that the fundamental troubleshooting methodology for the average organization with a help desk is if you can't fix it within X number of minutes, right, depending on what your metrics are for, you know, churn and for ticket closure, then we're just going to reimage because we're not interested in doing anything beyond the bare minimum of rebooting and one or two, things that have been documented, we'll just make the problem go away by essentially zapping the machine. Well, the reality is you don't make the problem go away. You just simply push the can down the road far enough till the problem re-emerges. Because more often than not, the problem is something systemic in an image or something systemic in somewhere else. And it's not the machine. It's just a symptom of the broader issue that doesn't ever really get addressed. And so I think, you know, the unfortunate, brutal reality, right? The The unspoken evil that often lurks in those dark corners is that you know, we are okay, all of us, right, as evidence shows, with really just doing something that will seem to solve the problem as opposed to really fundamentally attacking that issue to, to uncover what it is. And we've allowed that to happen because companies feel that's the appropriate way to be able to use resources.
0: Yeah, I mean... You are ta- uh, talking about um, leading, by example, uh, with security a minute ago mm-hmm. um, and we, we've had a guest on our podcast before. We're good friends with her. Um, we've done several things together. Donna Grindel, I don't know if you guys have heard of her. She's the uh, co-host of the Help Me with HIPAA podcast mm-hmm. yep. and they focus okay, okay, So they focus on HIPAA compliance. Um, and she's mentioned it a few times. And I think it's an excellent point that one of her mentors told her when you he was speaking for leaders of organizations he said whatever you do your actions, the people under you are going to do a little bit less than what you do. So, if you're thinking about security, um, if you're thinking about whatever we're talking about, uh, taking ownership, finding root cause analysis, not taking a simple route, whatever you as the leader do, we as the leaders do, people under you are going to do a little bit less. And if you take that down the chain from the top of the organization to the bottom, Mm -hmm. a little bit less, what are the people at the bottom doing?
2: A whole lot less. (laughs) Right.
1: (laughs) I, and I think, unfortunately, the, the methodology has been that the people at the top think that their time is that much more valuable. Right. Exactly. So if it means the quick fix, then we do the quick fix or um, the risk calculation is that it's going to cost me $10,000 to troubleshoot this because that's how much three hours of my time is worth. It's not worth that to me for this problem. Go get me a new machine. I don't care what you do with that, but get me another one that's working. And unfortunately, that is that is a problem. Um, Ten years ago when I started, it wasn't as easy to re-image a machine, so we had to troubleshoot it. But these days, they, they, they don't do that. They just swap it out like it's a piece of candy.
2: They do. And, you know, listen, VDI and all the supporting virtualization cloud-based technologies have made – that, you know, a disposable commodity like most other things. But it's also interesting, right? Because I I, I will take issue with something that just kind of came out, which is, you know, I do think that the the senior leadership mindset of my time is more valuable is if I can use an inappropriate term and you won't get censured for it, it's bullshit, right? Because, um... (laughs) everybody's time is important. I don't think anybody would fundamentally disagree with that. And I'm not saying that from that perspective. What I mean is, yes, senior leadership's time is invaluable to an organization to drive strategy and ultimately drive that organization um, at that level. But we all know fundamentally security, and we often pay lip service to this. We just don't, unfortunately, we really implement it. We keep saying security is everybody's business, and it should be. And if senior leadership isn't focused on to the points we made about leading by example, then then clearly that's where the culture lies and that's why we have the problems we have. But I I think it's easy to let senior leadership off the hook by letting them claim that their time is more valuable, right, than everybody else's. And that's the reason why we don't do things a certain way. I think smart organizations, organizations that get risk and really do manage it down uh, to to the extent they can, Understand that while their senior leadership and indeed even middle management's time is important, that there are certain things that are more important, right, to the point you made. And and that sometimes you have to put your time on the line in order
1: to secure the organization. And I think that's one of the things people miss, right? Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that, for example, leads to the social engineering phenomenon that's happening today called business – uh, email compromise that there's there's no malicious link there's nothing to cause a true vulnerability to the organization except someone pretending to be the ceo telling you to transfer 10 million dollars because they can't pick up the phone and do it in proper way or do it through proper channels that they're, that they're trying to expedite it and someone turns around and does it
2: yeah, well that's that's the whole litmus test about common sense, right, that I talked <laughs> about early on. And it's a lot of other things, Chris. Don't get me wrong, it's definitely, you know, a lot of things. But it is, I think, a sense of apathy, a sense of of unfortunately um, simply just, you know, allowing you and your common sense to be trumped by somebody because of their role in the organization. Well, I tell customers all the time, and I tell my students this relentlessly in class, you know, you should never afraid to tell somebody in an organization, regardless of how senior they are, that what they're suggesting is a bad idea. You have to do it with the proper amount of respect and you have to do it in the proper context, but you should never be in a position where you fear being able to point out stupidity because if you are, you're in the wrong place and you got to go find yourself another job because right. you don't want to work there, right? Because bad things are going to happen. It's only a matter of how quickly they will happen,
0: which is that means to be part of the culture is that people don't feel coward, cowardly or afraid to say something wrong no matter who it is
2: yeah i mean i've had some stupendous knockdown dragouts with senior leadership <laughs> in boardrooms over the years about you know to me what seems like some pretty common sense stuff but to them was fundamentally holding them back from being able to, you know, really move to a place where they would secure the business. And you know, I often have to remind myself when I find myself sitting in that room having that conversation almost as an out-of-body experience that, you know, it's often I don't think, and I think almost without exception, it's never been the case that they're acting purposefully in a malicious way or in a silly or stupid or a risk um, risky way purposefully, right? I don't ever think that's the case. And it's never been proven in my world that it has been. But I think, look, ignorance clearly gets people in trouble, right? And I think the problems that we get when we have a myopic tunnel vision driven view of our world, and we're not open to this idea that there may be a better way, right? It can't be my way or the highway just because I said so. Can't run a business that way, at least not in the modern world, not today. Yeah, hundred years ago, right? If you're Henry Ford or you were Carnegie or you were Mellon, you probably could. But you know, those days are long gone. And as a result, you know, if if that culture permeates from the top, like we've been saying, where senior leadership says, Well, this is just what we're doing, and I'm not open to any other thought process. We're just doing it. Well, yeah, you know that's about to go off the cliff, right? You're gonna have a stupendous fire.
1: And I think maybe like you you mentioned earlier, as an educator, you have to ensure that you provide them with the education in a way that they understand the risk. And it could be that maybe we are doing a poor job in explaining the risk in a manner that they understand, or they, they do understand the risk and that's what they've chose to do to accept it. And at a certain point, we just step back and... Let the fire burn because they decided that that was best for the organization.
2: Listen, I'm all for a bonfire, a good bonfire. (laughs) (laughs) There's nothing wrong with bonfire. Here's the thing I've learned right over the years when I when I get to this decision point in an organization. Because Chris, you make an excellent point, right? Which is sometimes no matter how hard you try, you can't prevent people from shooting themselves in the foot, right? And at that point, it's fun to watch, and you have to laugh because it's not happening to you. But you also have a responsibility to not only point it out to our point jointly mine and yours but also i take it a step further right where where i've had these knockdown drag outs with with customers and we've come to a stalemate where essentially the customer says we we just don't care we're going to do it this way we appreciate your point of view even though they really don't (laughs) and (laughs) um you know ultimately i've even been told flat out, "Look." We paid you to be here. Just sit down and shut up because this is what we're doing. And I have no trouble with any of that because, you know, you're absolutely right. You're paying my bill. And until you stop paying me, I'll do whatever you want me to do. But I also have a responsibility to point out that, you know, you are doing something that can be detrimental to you and those around you. And most practitioners and professionals stop there and say, well, I don't want to force conflict. I can't do anything beyond that. And I have the exact opposite approach right? Because number one, I don't need to be there. I can go do other things that work for other people. I have that luxury. Not everybody does because I'm not an employee of that company. I'm a consultant, right? Who comes in from the outside. So if you get to the point where you just don't want to deal with me and I get essentially fed up with you, I can leave and I can still go play with other people. And as a result, I, I will sit politely in the sit and say, okay, well, that's all good. And so here's what we should do. I'm going to write up this piece, this, this little conversation, and we're both going to sign it, and I'm going to give you a copy so that way when your auditors or whoever come calling after this train wreck that I've told you is going to happen and you swear to me is not, occurs, you at least have documentation of what did and didn't happen, and you also have a piece of paper that holds you accountable in the organization for the outcome, Right? And I found, although it is almost like a nuclear option, right, because when you face senior management having to put their name on something and be held accountable, that's one of the few things that scares them. It's almost like, you know, sunlight for vampires. And if you're serious about it, at least it causes them to pause. I've had a couple that have called my bluff and said, great, do it and then get out. And they're (laughs) no longer in business, unfortunately. But most of them have stopped long enough to say, you know, maybe there's something to this. Maybe we should at least think before we go forward, and I think sometimes you have to drive people to the brink in order to get them to understand that maybe they're being a little silly and and that's not a bad thing as long as you do it in a way that allows them to have options
1: yeah exactly and and, and risk acceptance is a risk uh, a risk strategy, mm-hmm. and if they've gotten to that point where they've really heard out all the options and they're ready to accept then um, that that's that's what it is. But like you said, and like we've been saying, they've had that education up to that point, and they're choosing the best path, and we'll just sit back and watch the bonfire.
2: Yeah. I'll usually bring the lighter
0: fluid. <laughs> <laughs> On your point, what you mentioned a few minutes ago about uh, people wanting to avoid conflict. I think back to what we talked about quite a bit earlier, I think that's a big, again, a societal issue that fosters these issues we see where we don't want to produce conflict. Um, Back to my example about the IDF, um, when they're planning a a special operations or whatever, every soldier is expected to have a dissenting view. And if you don't have a dissenting point to make, you're basically in trouble.
1: I think that depends where in the world you are, because there there are um, Nordic cultures that are a little more Forward and abrupt than American culture is, but American culture is more forward and abrupt than say um, Asian cultures, so I, I think it really depends where in the world you are and the type of culture but it, it is an activity that that should happen um, right. for us to deal with things
2: you no know, it is an excellent point Chris makes it is a very culturally relevant. Issue because in many cultures it's seen as being highly disrespectful, right? To your point, especially in Asian cultures, to challenge someone who is seen as being in a more senior position openly, right? And in certain contexts and certain venues, and I've seen that many times over the years with customers. I see it as a teacher because when I teach around the world, you know, some students are very interested in having that dialogue. Others will sit very patiently, very quietly, very respectfully, not say anything in the entire class, and It's not because they're not learning and they're not interacting in their mind and getting value. It's that they have been taught that culturally it's not appropriate for them to interrupt or to say something when a professor or somebody who's more senior is talking. And I have to go out of my way to be aware of that. I think we all do. And it is a challenge for us, right, because it's hard just to say, well, just, you know, say something. And they'll sit there politely and smile and not say anything, right, because they don't want to offend you. And so it's very – it can sometimes be very problematic, um, but it is something to be aware of.
1: It's something that I do in in, uh, customer education sessions when I'm teaching customers about a new technology that they're looking to implement. Uh, I won't wait until the end to have them ask questions. I'll stop after a major point where I know they'll have questions and go, okay, let's talk about this. What questions do you have around the subject rather than waiting till the end um, even though their their questions might get answered, I'd rather get them out earlier and have them be more comfortable as the topic goes on. Good point.
0: Okay. So to wrap things up, I have let's talk about a question. Are we insane? Oh fundamentally I am, there's no doubt about it. I don't I don't mean the medical version of insane. <laughs>
1: I mean, because we're doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Um, I think that's the definition of it. Yes.
2: It it is clinically. And, you know, it it is not just, you know, all kidding aside, and we've all heard, most of us, I'm sure, probably have heard the quote over the years, right? And, you know, Einstein's definition of insanity, right? But the reality is that, you know, I think it's more than just are we systemically repeating the same behaviors and hoping for different outcomes? Because the answer is clearly we are, right? There's no argument about that. But I think it's what, what interests me about that is what motivates people, right, as we've been talking about pretty much the entire podcast, what motivates people to feel comfortable doing that. Because I think that's where we can impact, right, and potentially make change occur. We're not going to fundamentally shift cultural dynamics like we just talked about, where in certain cultures, people are just very risk adverse and confrontational adverse, right? I mean, that's, that's not going to change because that's thousands of years of humanity weighing on you as a member of that culture. But what you could do is really help people to understand that regardless of the venue and regardless of what's going on, that, you know, there are certain things, right. That we know fundamentally regardless of what we think and whether we choose to voice them, we know potentially are just not smart. And if we start with those things and if we, really go out of our way, right, to uh, try to educate. And, and this is, I think, the, the radical thing that I try to try to wrap my head around is that, you know, we're always talking about, well, if, you know, leadership at the top of the organization leads by example, like we were talking about earlier, and, and it bubbles down, and we see incrementally less and less activity and less and less interest, right, to your point earlier, William, about, you know, the fact that, you know, people lower down the chain, do less and less, right? So it's the law of diminishing returns as we move towards ground zero, and if we follow that model, right, the logic dictates that either you're overwhelmingly overcompensating at the top to achieve the minimum desired result at the bottom, knowing you're going to have diminishing returns, or you have to do something different because you're never going to be able to pour enough into the top to get to where you want to be at the bottom. And that's kind of where we find ourselves. And then you have this other thought process which has been around for years, which is, well, the grassroots approach, let's bubble it up from the bottom, right? But the problem is, of course, that you know, you reach these certain breakpoints in organizations somewhere in the mid tier where, you know, it never gets past mid management or whatever we call that, that layer that prevents senior leadership from understanding what's happening day to day. And as a result, it doesn't work any better. And so we're kind of stuck, right? Because everybody says, well, we're out of ideas. We can't do it from the top down. We can't do it from bottom up. So we're just going to keep doing what we're doing and, and you know hopefully at some point something changes, no matter we don't know what something changing will be and, and we live eternal and hope eternal that it never works. And, you know, I, I really struggle with this because I think both approaches have some value, but clearly neither one works exclusively and neither one works together successfully most of the time. But I do think that if we force the organization to confront the insanity of nonsensical behavior, right, this idea that certain things just don't make sense and that it's okay to admit that and try to banish those things and instead of taking on risk as this monolithic non-definable scary thing that is always there and never seems to go away that if we chip away at it and give small victories but obviously at the same time reinforce right what it means to be uh, focused every day then I think we we begin to see a different path right because I think if we can focus on knocking down those risks one at a time that are defined in such a way that they do allow us to deal with them, then I think we can reinforce behavior that becomes more sensible over time and moves away from this ridiculousness about just doing the same thing and hoping for different outcomes. Uh,
1: And here's a different approach to it. Um, I think history needs to be something that is taught more, both from a technical aspect, because history Repeats itself over and over and over again. And I'm sure, Adam, you've seen vulnerabilities that have come and go and come and go. Same vulnerabilities, different form factor, different technology, but it's essentially the same thing. And I think it happens in business too, because there's not enough communication, there's not enough. Um, root cause analysis, there's not enough case studies of what went right, what went wrong, so that we could actually learn from our history and others can learn from our history. That way we don't repeat ourselves.
2: It is, it is an important thought process, right? I think the problem, right, we, we've seen historically, like right, no pun intended, but to your point, you know, we, we seem as, as a species to be incapable of remembering what's happened beyond a very narrow window because we are. Always repeating, right, things, regardless of what, unfortunately, it leads to some very, very horrendous and, and horrible outcomes across multiple lines of thought in various ways. But I think, you know, we also not only have a short term, long term memory issue, but I think we also, you know, to the point some of us made earlier, I think we also suffer from this issue of, you know, being overwhelmed, right? And not knowing where to begin, right? You know, Confucius very famously said, if you believe he ever existed, uh, but, you know, attributed to him anyway, said that the journey of a thousand miles begins with but one step. And, you know, you can't ponder the journey of a thousand miles if you think of it as a thousand miles, right? You can only really ponder it if you think about the fact that you put one foot in front of the other and keep moving. And I think we unfortunately fall into this thought process in organizations as individuals and collectively, right? That risk and threat and vulnerability and and all the things we've been talking about for the podcast are just so ever-present, so omnipotent and so driven in everything we do and so underlying everything we do that it's, it's almost impossible to understand how we can impact it and therefore it seems foolish to try. And I always remind customers and students that, you know, if nobody ever stood up and tried anything, right, we'd still be living in caves, right, and, and trying to figure out how to use you know, sticks to, you know, create tools. Because you got to try a lot of stuff to all of our points to figure out what does and doesn't work. And a lot of times, I think people fear failure more than they embrace success. And so, you know, the problem becomes that they're unwilling to try because they're unwilling to fail, you know. Chris, you made that point early on, and William, you've spoken to it as well This during the podcast in some way. And you, know, you have to encourage people, right, whether they're students or practitioners or, or business owners or whatever, to understand that failure is part of the, the way in which we create success. And I think people lose sight of that. And I think that's part of the problem.
1: Yeah, I mean, Netflix didn't get to where they are by being successful all the time. If you listen to their history both from a technical point of view as well as a business point of view, they failed several points along the way. But from the the technical point of view, they encourage failure. They have what chaos monkey within their infrastructure that will break things at a whim, and the teams need to be prepared for whenever it decides to act, but they don't know when it's going to act. So they have to make sure that they're resilient to it. Very true.
0: Wow, well, a very interesting conversation. Do you guys have any uh, thoughts before we wrap it up?
1: Remain Anything eternally, yeah, remain eternally <laughs> curious.
0: Yeah, exactly. Remain curious. And take ownership. Don't pass the book. Yes. Take ownership.
2: Fail to succeed. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> fail fast and fail often
2: Fail fast often.
1: yes correct and you know you can take that a lot of ways right
2: but <laughs> all joking aside you know it, it is i think a great way to sum up a lot of the things we've said right you have to be eternally curious you have to not uh, pass the buck bill to your point and take ownership but i think you also have to understand right that you it is okay for those around you to have ideas try them and fail as long as Ultimately, you guys jointly come together to figure out how to learn. Chris, to your point earlier and William, your point about how the IDF, you know, does a post mortem, a post-action review on everything they do. You know, successful organizations get the fact that there's knowledge that can be useful in failure. And organizations that don't, unfortunately, tend to fail more often than they succeed. And yeah, you know, that's one of the fundamental differences.
0: Okay, so before we go. Could you guys tell our listeners if they're interested in finding more about you guys, where they can? I guess we can start with Chris.
1: Uh, I'm on LinkedIn or Twitter. Um, Feel free to reach out to me. Uh, My my podcast is called Breaking into Cybersecurity for those that are looking to share the knowledge or even pass it on to someone looking to break into the industry, how they can uh, get tips and tricks from those that did.
0: And that podcast is on YouTube as well as uh, wherever podcasts are available, right? Yes.
2: Um, Adam? Uh, So uh, just like Chris, you could find me on LinkedIn and or Twitter and encourage you to reach out and connect with me. I always love to hear from people in our industry and find out what you guys are doing. Uh, You may very well see me in a system near you if you're not careful, so do be on the lookout there. Um, (laughs) But uh, you can also just reach out to me directly by email. And uh, adam at itpro.tv company I currently spend time working for and producing educational content for, and always interested in having conversations. I often tell my customers and students, I work cheaply if you have good espresso on yours for an hour. So, feel free to take me (laughs) off on that, because I love espresso, and I will be happy to spend time talking about anything if you feed me with espresso. I work for whiskey. I do that too, but it's usually (laughs) under cover
0: of espresso. Well, guys, thank you very much for being with us and such a great conversation. Yeah, we appreciate thank it. you very in depth. Really Thanks, everyone. It. And that's the SMB Cybercast podcast. Thank you again for listening. Please check out our other white papers, roadmaps, and webcasts at www.cyberx.tech/resources, and our blog at www.cyberx.tech/blog. We have lots of guides and roadmaps to help you improve your cybersecurity program. Go check us out and we'll see you next episode.